today on Rebuilders, we have asked you, our subscribers, what your questions are for us. So what kind of things do we cover, Mark? We cover lots of things. We talk about the future of universities, college ministries. We talk about the role South Africa has to play in God's plan in the world. We talk about why are people sort of reshuffling through churches post-COVID. That, lots more. I'm excited. Great. Let's kick it off. Welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark and Daniel back in the studio. How are you both? I'm good. Fantastic. Good to be here. Good to have you back, Liddy. Welcome back. Welcome oh, back. Thank you. That was like a significant <laughs> amount of enthusiasm Sorry. there, Daniel, <laughs> and I appreciate just it. Just coming out the gate strong. Yeah. Yes. Um, can I just say I was on the way into the office today, drove past the bakery where I used to stop to, keep, to pick up pastries. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> Part of me, we just had to let that go. Well, um, well, but. I noticed a lot of when I travelled, a lot of people mentioned pastries, like rebuilders, listings, mm. government pastries. Yeah. Oh, well, look, we went pretty hard for a while. Yeah, there. yeah. Oh, was- the, the memory for me was like, there's no other cars around. There's no one parked next to the bakery because there's just nobody. Everyone yeah, else yeah, is in yeah, lockdown, yeah. Yeah, and that's here true. I am. Yeah. Well, I have eaten <laughs> today, though. Not not a pastry, but I have eaten a carrot cake, oh. which Liddy. Made and brought into the office for I us did. to all eat. So it yeah. was nice. it was fantastic. And in fact, I would say better than a pastry and indicative Ooh. of our inflationary age where <laughs> pastries now cost $17. Well, like carrots. <laughs> How much do carrots They're pretty these? cheap. No, I, st- I got a bag of them the other day for like $1.90 yeah. or something. I brought two zucchinis for $7. What? I know. I didn't look at it before So I zucchinis it. Uh, for our- UK and oh, yeah. Courgettes. New Zealand. Courgettes. Really? Yeah. Mm. Oh, and for Daniel as well. I didn't know. Yeah. I know. What's the, um? there's another vegetable, isn't there? Eggplant and aubergine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there like- um like Cilantro a- and coriander. Mm-hmm. Oh. There's lots of them. Bell peppers and capsicum. Yep. Mm. Amazing. Well, Butternut pumpkins here are like referred to as squashes. Yes, yes. Yep. Squashes are something different, aren't they? They're well, like, here they are, yeah. They're like yeah. those little- Little yellow. yellow those things, are, those things, things are evil. Oh, what? I don't know why Squashes are evil. Them. No, they're not. They're delicious. They are. There's nothing- No. Fry them up them. with some butter no, and no. some salt. Oh. oh, That's the butter and the salt doing the job there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the snake in the garden ate squashes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm on team squash, so- <laughs> You guys can just all settle down. The great rift of 2022. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just not on the, the podcast rift, anymore. The great rift of Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> Squashes and snakes. Yeah. Oh, well, um, I'm just going to move us on. Uh, thank you to everyone who responded. Oh, so did you say, sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting. Oh, you're going the back to Second week I've spoken over you. Did you say the great rift of 2020? 2022. Okay, so continue. That was worth stopping you. Yeah. (laughs) Good good clarity. Oh, you needed to check the year. Gotcha. Yeah, Yeah, sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, forgiveness is flowing. Oh, thank Um, you. (laughs) No worries. So uh, for those of you who are our subscribers, we sent out an email less than 24 hours ago, actually, to ask you to send us your questions. So listener questions. We've done them a few times over the years. And we put it to you and we had a whole raft of responses come in. So thank you to everyone who um, who has already responded. We'll be keeping an eye on um, the inbox as well if further ones come in. But we're going to address a few of these questions today. Yeah. I thought it was too late. I thought when this was discussed, I'm like, it's the uh, no one's going to send anything through. It's the I afternoon. What are you doing? Confidence. 
Full confidence in the our stacks came through. Yeah. yeah. Went yeah. to bed, woke up. Yeah. It's like Jack and the Beanstalk. <laughs> oh, this is a beauty of like global the internet. global listenership as well. Yeah, that's true. And the internet. Yeah. Mm. We we were sleeping and they were busy sending replies. So mm. yeah. So, yes, thank you. Um, Just on that, if you aren't already a subscriber, you can subscribe by heading to rebuilders.co and hitting the subscriber um, section up Mm. in the top of the website and you will get these emails as well. Mm. So, shall we just kick into it? Let us kick off. Great. Um, So, we're going to get through as many as we can for this episode and we'll save the ones that we don't get through for a future episode. Let's go. Uh, So this first one is from Alan and it says, I work in campus ministry in the States and I'm curious, how do you perceive the global trends you're seeing affecting higher education and how do you think those of us ministering in this context of 18 to 22-year-olds could adjust in light of that? Fantastic question. Mm. Uh, Thank you, Alan. Um, Do you want me to take this one or...? Go for it. Oh, sorry. That was, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'll do that for every question. Yeah, do that yes. for every question. Um, a few things. So I think we're seeing a tremendous transformation and disruption of – well, first of all, we're seeing a disruption, and I think we then will see a transformation of uh, all institutions in our society, and obviously universities are a pretty central institution you know if you go back to you know even look at the history of institutions like oxford and cambridge and princeton and these you know, going back centuries and even further um you know for some of these these places and, and really what they were was formational spaces for um people who were going to come into particularly into early on the vision was you know the clergy you know look at oxford mm. and cambridge and these places and princeton and these so on um but also then into i guess the leadership of society um, one of the things that we've seen in more recent times is really the way that uh, universities have made money through selling degrees in the sense of an ever-increasing expansion of courses on offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas in the past, you know, you go back a few decades, it wasn't expected everyone went to university. Increasingly, that's seen as something which the majority of people should try and do. Mm. Um, you've seen in places like Australia um, where universities and particularly overseas students has become an incredible driver of of income for universities and I think is bigger than agriculture in Australia um, with overseas students um, coming in as, as a driver of our GDP. But um, some of the trends that we've spoken about is the decentralization that's occurring in our society and the draining of authority away from institutions. And I think we've seen that in a couple of ways. Um, with universities. The first one is increasingly, and actually I think my my brother may have done his um, uh, uh, some sort of postgraduate studies on this because he's in the field of education. And I think he was here for lunch. We could have just pulled him in for this. Oh, we should have. Um, but, you know, his sort of studies is looking at uh, how sort of online learning, in particular the fact that increasingly there's things being offered online for free, mm. is going to affect the university. Mm. And, you know, people sort of say, oh, oh, is that ha- hasn't happened yet. But I think it, it could happen. 
And you know, you've got some of these online offerings where you've got you know hundreds and hundreds of students from all over the world on, and some of the really high quality. So I sort of feel like in some ways where universities are at, it's maybe like what record companies were, maybe in the in the nineties. Yeah. Okay. Um, just before you know Napster came along and sort of disrupted the entire industry. So I think you're still going to have your legacy sort of institutions like an Oxford or some of the you know Ivy League colleges and this Sabon and you know these sort of different places. But I think you're actually going to see a huge disruption. What what uh, institution is is the communication of information, and you're seeing I think the formational element of those universities change because less and less people are on campus. Mm-hmm. There was a famous tweet someone put up here in Australia. It's actually before the pandemic, but it was a university lecturer. I think it might have been at Melbourne University or RMIT here in Melbourne, and he just put up a picture saying you know, the contemporary lecturer's dilemma and he took a photo of the class and no one had turned up. Yeah. And um, so that sort of formational in-person community forming of people for, you know, to, to lead um, in a culture, that's sort of disappearing as it's becoming more just information transference and, um, you know, I think that can be done online. So that's going to be hugely disruptive. So I think we could see many universities not be around. Mm. I'm going to put it out there in, in a few decades. So that's going to be interesting. Number number two point is the loss of authorities from universities. Mm. And I think one of the big you know things that have been spoken about, I remember um, years ago going to visit a friend, you know, uh, this is well before we, everyone was talking about culture wars and all this sort of stuff, going to visit a friend um, at lunch at his university and sort of driving into the university from sort of the quiet streets around it into the quadrangle at the center of this university. It was like some huge sort of cultural protest and different groups Mm. all yelling at each other. I thought, oh, this is really bizarre. And then seeing how in some ways that space at that time, which seems strange, is now replicated all over the culture. And and I think some of the sort of dynamics that the university is trying to sort of deal with, which is how do you actually, how do liberal societies, liberal democracies actually deal with a diversity of opinion and how does, lib- which is really the question of how does liberalism, which promotes uh, a diversity of opinion and was attempted to be a, s- a solution to a diversity of opinion, how does that then deal with opinions that it doesn't necessarily agree with? Yeah. So you're seeing this whole sort of, you know, a lot of the council culture and all this sort of stuff, that those battles sort of began in the university. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I think that's another thing where people are seeing uh, legitimacy drain away from the university and the university itself has become a... Uh, it, it, there was there was cultural war clashes happening at universities. Now the idea of the university is sort of, you know, culturally, um, uh, you know, a battleground itself. So I think all of these are at play. But for those, I think the question Alan's asking here too is for those people, and there are many who are involved in ministry mm. in, in campuses, um, you know, I think that question of formation is really key because I think the university, as it's realised its formational capacity is disappearing, in some ways, it's pushed further in that ability to form people in a particular, um, you know, thought because they see that those people are then going into you know the higher echelons which control the, the wider society. Mm. So I think I think um, <clears throat> the discernment of culture is you know something we took a lot a lot on here, and we talk about missiology, which is like how do we read culture through the lens of the gospel? I think you cannot do college or university ministry without that at this point in time. And, you know, I think that in many ways for those who are going to be heading into different um, 
parts of the culture where it's it's hard to be a Christian. I think the formational reality of of training people how to live with that at at colleges um, and not hiding from the world, I think, is a really important um, thing that people are doing. So that's that's my little attempt at answering that question. Great, uh, thank you, Mark. We hope that that was helpful uh, to you, Alan. And others that find themselves in that context. Let's move. Oh, Sorry, yeah. Can I just add a little thought in there as well? Mm. Just, just for what it's worth, I like. I feel like a lot of the conversations I'm having with eighteen to twenty-two year olds <laughs> nowadays has actually been I'm finding it really encouraging and just a real, mm. for like real hunger and and willingness to to be led and to be encouraged and and for kind of tools to live in mm. this kind of weird gray zone moment. Mm. Just a quick, yeah, quick thought in there. I'm, I'm really actually really hopeful about Gen Z and um, Gen Z. Gen Z, sorry. <laughs> well, it's like zucchini and <laughs> courgette, <laughs> you know, coriander and cilantro. Yeah. Um, and and just on generation that, aubergine. <laughs> generation. <laughs> <laughs> the the um, I think that's a great point because I think maybe in the past you could, you know, as a Christian, you know, we've talked a lot about here the shift that's happened post-COVID of sort of the disappearance of cultural Christianity. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the past you could be a Christian and sort of like float through and some, you know, campus ministry and, you know, not affect you. But now I think it's like it's full on and, mm -hmm. you know, you will have to be serious about your faith, you know. Yeah. So I think that's an opportunity, you know, and I think combined with what you were just saying, mm -hmm. um, you know, if we can learn to to disciple people in those environments, you know, that's a great yeah. foundation for, for the rest of people's lives. Yeah. That's good. That's great. Thanks, Daniel. Okay, well, our next question is from Glenn in Hong Kong. I have been wondering why over the past 10 to 15 years or so in particular, I've encountered more and more Christians who feel compelled to follow the Jewish dietary and Sabbath rules. Is there something going on in culture right now that is driving this movement to lean into the Old Testament laws instead of celebrating freedom in Christ? Great question. Um I have not seen that trend of late mm -hmm. uh, in particular. Um, a couple of thoughts. Um, the first one is this is a really interesting live question for Jewish followers of Jesus. So I know there's a yeah. lot of discussion in like the Messianic Jewish community around at what level should Jewish followers of Jesus um, sort of, you know, I guess, you know, what elements of the Torah should they, you know, they follow. Um, but I think probably more what Glenn's getting at here is people who are not Jewish. And uh, there are different times throughout Christian history, like particularly in 19th century Russia, there was a movement called the Judaizers, Judaizers who basically sort of was a, a trying to be a kind of renewal movement within the Orthodox Church, who then mm -hmm. went back and sort of, you know, took on a lot of sort of Torah observance and uh, – uh, that actually some of the people trace some of the contemporary versions of anti-Semitism back to that moment in, in contemporary Russia. So you do see these historical trends where people start to, you know, look at the different laws and, and ask the question. You do see some sort of return back to that. I haven't seen that in, in terms of, you know, very sort of overt taking on, say, of kosher eating or whatever. Mm -hmm. I do wonder, though, that in moments, one thing I have been seeing, I think there's in moments where uh, the world is out of control. Yes. Uh, that uh, we don't have control over, you know, the world anymore and perhaps the ways that we thought we could. There are things which we sort of can take control over. And I wonder if there's a temptation in moments like that to fall back into some of these things. Um, you know, and, and I think we've spoken on here before that, you know, classic Tertullian 
quote, whether he said it or not, it's still a good one. There's some debate as to whether he said it, but you know, just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, forever the gospel exists between you know irreligion and religiosity. And mm. I think there's always that temptation to form into sort of um, you know taking you know that sort of law back on yeah. um, ourselves in different ways, and and maybe even you know some of the things which people perhaps have found helpful of you know having Sabbath and different things like that, there is always that question we need to ask as followers of Jesus, at what point is this something which is helping us to actually something which is hindering us and mm. actually just something we're sort of, you know, returning to, I guess, a sort of workspace mentality. Um, yeah, so that, that's sort of what I, w- I would think. Um, but, yeah, but I need to think about that more. I, I haven't noticed it. I don't know if you guys noticed it or examples of it. I, I mean, I guess when I read this, I I – thought of things like the Daniel fast, which yeah, true. Um, I know many uh, churches have run or done collectively as a um, as congregations. Uh, also think about um, maybe the Nazarite vow. Yeah, yeah, true. Stuff which has mm. been um, happening. Well, I've seen it mm. in a number of leaders over a number of years mm. recently, but other than that, Probably not. Mm. I mean, I guess Sabbath is a significant thing mm. um, that we talk about. Mm-hmm. As creator of the Daniel Fast, uh, Daniel, <laughs> how did you? It's a high protein. Yeah. Pastry. <laughs> pastry. Yeah, yeah, high car- pastry. Carbohydrate yeah. diet. Daniel, Daniel 2.0. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think um, uh, I think I, what I've noticed though is it's probably – in our field anyway, it's kind of the more the postures that they, that Sabbath offers and fasting yes. offers then mm. and the <clears throat> yeah, posture that we brought before God in more mm. so than the religious kind of rule following of it mm. yeah. is probably what I've noticed and experienced. Mm. So I think there's great worth and great beauty. Mm. In, mm. Um, Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, that'll be one to watch out for. Uh, a question from Mike. Hi, guys. My question is oh, in South Africa. Um, hi, guys. My question is, where does a country like South Africa fit into the Western cultural story and overall in God's plan for renewal? We're not a Western country, but we're influenced by it in a major way. I'm not sure that's a good thing, though. Great question, uh, Mike. And hello to not just Mike, but all of our listeners in South Africa. Hmm. Um this is a fantastic question. Um, I think South Africa is an absolutely fascinating uh, country because, um, well, before I get to is you know what is South Africa's relationship to the West? You know, I think I've mentioned on here before. I think the question of the West is a really interesting one to examine. What do we mean by the West? Um, you know, traditionally the West was Europe, mm. um, but you just look at the diversity in a place like Europe between Iceland and Greece. You yeah. know, uh, is Russia Western or is it Eastern? This is mm. a country, you know, Russia's sort of, uh, you know, is, 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 you know, Central Europe versus Western Europe, you know, in the English speaking world, you know, and then, you know, you look at the other sort of West, which could be, yeah, the Anglosphere, which is, you know, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, America, you know, uh, the United Kingdom. Um, and it's really interesting at the moment, you know, you look at the Ukraine war and you look at some of the alliances, people are talking less about the West as we're talking about this alliance of democracies now. So, for mm. example, you know, Hungary, which is traditionally a Western country, isn't as aligned with the rest of the West, perhaps around some of the issues in Ukraine. Um, but weirdly, uh, uh, Japan and South Korea and Singapore are sort of in line with this sort of Western coalition. Mm. Um, so I think we're seeing this, you know, re 
imagining of what the West is. But, you know, I think what South Africa um, is of note of South Africa is a South Africa where is a place where there's lots of influences happening. You know, I just remember sort of traveling around Cape Town and, and being in parts which, you know, was, was super Western and you'd be in a cafe and then you'd be other parts which was, you know, very clearly, um, you know, sort of African culturally and, mm. you know, but not just those two. You know, you have uh, South Africa has an incredible, um, you know, ethnic diversity. There's Asian culture. There's, you know, Muslim culture. There's, you know, Indian culture and, you know, different African uh, cultures and and different European cultures, you know, you know, Afrikaans and English and Portuguese and Greek and so on. Um, so, <clears throat> I think Africa is uh, sorry, South Africa is a really fascinating microcosm of the diversity of the globe in one place. Mm. And look, I've always felt um, that there is this really key part that I think South Africa plays in the global story. I think the story of redemption that comes out of South Africa, you know, after its long period of, uh, you know, apartheid, um, you know, it was one that really captured the world. Mm, and, um, you know, I mean, I, I think that there is a redemptive purpose for South Africa. Um, but then South Africa, it's interesting at the moment, I know that um, just look at the news uh, in the last little while, the, the South African government, I think, is trying to extradite. Um, the Guptas, which is a, a family of, of business people who were accused of, I think they, they sort of fled South Africa to Dubai. And this particular family were accused of what's being called in South African media state capture, where they sort of like, I guess, in their relationships with government, you know, almost sort of like oligarchs, you know, took a lot of, you know, South African, I think, industry and, you know, for basically profit and some of this extractive, um, abusive financial relationship. Um, but it's interesting that word state capture, you know, it's it's an interesting word from you know, a completely worldly perspective and understanding how that can work in a nation. But, you know, when, when I've heard that word in, in reading the South African news, I also think there's that redemptive history that God has for South Africa of this, you know, truly diverse place um, and, you know, with this redemptive story and, you know, a place that is marked, you know, by the Christian story really deeply uh, in many of those communities. And that idea of state capture, it's also a, a spiritual word, isn't it? You know, mm. like the enemy wants to capture the nations and, and different peoples of the world. And so I feel like there's a, there's a deep spiritual battle over that that sort of spiritual destiny, you know, for South Africa. So South Africa is a country I, I pray for a lot. Um, you know, everything in the world in South Africa, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a country which, you know, is economically, I think one of the most unequal places in the world, but that's also something we see in other parts of the world. You yeah. know, a lot of the trends in the world uh, are happening in South Africa. And I think therefore the role that the church in South Africa has to play is, is to be at the forefront of what God's doing in the world, because things that work out at a local and national and, and regional level in South Africa also, you know, can be, the rest of the world can learn from that. Yeah. And I think also, you know, South Africa also does have a real leadership role in the broader African continent as well. Um, so, you know, that's just some of the thoughts around South Africa. Um, but I think that, in some ways, also South Africa. South Africa. I think you're right there, uh, and Mike. Your comments. South Africa is not a Western country. It's influenced. It's influenced by positive and negative ways. Um, but uh, that's why I think it's a brilliant laboratory, um, or, or cutting edge is probably a better word, mm. of, of what mission and ministry at this time in a globalized world. And you know, I think in a, in a century where Africa has a a really important part to play in the bigger global story, I think South Africa is a, a really strategic country mm. uh, for what God is doing in the world at this moment. So you know, I, I will continue. Not I'm not South African, not in South Africa, but I will continue to pray for the church in South Africa.
Mm, that's good. Thanks, Mark. I, I just sort of wonder on that as well. Are we, I mean, we've probably been at this point for a long time, but are we beyond the binary of Western, like East and West? Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it yeah. seems like such an unhelpful yes. um, dichotomy to well, kind so of. So much to try and include. Yeah, just, and it's shifting all the yes. time. Yeah. Like if we're in grey zone and all of the the uh, constructs that helped us define, you know, what mm. the world looked like are now in complete flux, mm. how, how are we supposed to understand the world through like West and mm. East? You know, mm. I, I don't know. To me, it seems like an unhelpful mm. um, I agree. term now, but I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know how you you move a term on. Like yeah. That. I mean, yeah, just to throw a few thoughts around, like, yeah, I, I think like, you know, I read Michael Reed's book, The Forgotten Continent on South America, you know, mm. and he talked about, you know, South America is sometimes called the third West. Like, mm. we don't think yeah. about South America, but look at downtown Buenos Aires. It's, it's you know, deeply shaped by Europe. You know, mm. I think it's got... I think it's. I think. I think it's almost like, like so. For example, there are more Europeans in in more people of European Western stock, for want of a better term, in Buenos Aires than there would be in Australia, Canada, or America. Yeah, you okay. Know, we're more ethnically diverse, um, but it's a very you know lots of Italians and and people of Spanish descent, and you know, there's Germans in in Brazil, and you know so is Brazil is Brazil Western. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, um, you know, and, and, you know, got Australia, New Zealand, where, where in the Pacific, you know, are we Pacific? Are we Western? Are we, you know, be look at parts of Melbourne are very Asian, you know, mm. parts of, um, you know, Auckland are very Pacifica culture, you know, like a, a Maori culture. And I think these questions are becoming a lot more plastic and bendable, you know, and then you think about the fact that you can find pockets in Lagos, Nigeria, of people who are thinking like, American Western people. Yes. And then you can find pockets in America of people who maybe migrant communities from other parts of the world who are not thinking Western. So it's it's very and even in some people you've got all of that happening at once. You know, yes. if you're a second or third culture mm-hmm. sort of person. Yeah. Um so I think you're right. I think <clears throat> I mean Kishore Mahobani uh, he wrote a book um on Asia, sort of the Asian century. Uh, I think it's he makes the point that, you know, he's arguing that the Asia is acting more Western than the West now <laughs> in terms of their development and yeah, their, okay. their institutions and how they're building cities and and they're, you know, on reason, he says, the West is becoming less Western. Yes. You know, so again to, you know, what is the West? Is West ancient Greece? You know, like what is West Britain? Yeah. Is America the West? Like, yeah, I agree. I think it's becoming a really confusing term. And I think – Part of what I've thought as well and what really hit me is I know when we did this cultural moment, we talked a lot about the church in the West, Mm. but just the overwhelming feedback I had from people, um, so many emails and messages like, hey, I'm in this country which is not considered West, but everything you're talking about is applicable applicable here, you know, and it's sort of this almost some people use the term global culture, you know, sort of thing where um, you can go to like if you're in a mall in Dubai, like what's Dubai? (laughs) <laughs> you know, like you're in this mall in Dubai and it's like, yeah. So anyway, um, I think I agree with you. I think it's becoming mm. harder to define. Yeah. And I can mean, I just say that too? Like yeah. there is this sort of almost this thing to defend the West, you know. And look, I think there's elements of the West, which, you know, there's some like any culture, whatever, again, whatever, however you define the West, the, yes. of every culture there's things which align with the gospel and neutral around the gospel and anti-gospel. Yeah. But I don't think the future is this sort of defensive. You know, here's some of these sort of 
pushback on the right against some things of like the defense of the West. Well, what what is the West? Yes. You know, your question yeah, is, yeah, what, yeah. What, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. And that was um, something that Newbigin pointed out yes. as well that that in every culture there's going to be a yes, yes, and there's going to be a mm, no, yes, um, yeah. So navigating in whatever context you're in. What does the gospel actually say about how we're living and what's going on in culture? And, and just to so just to end with an, another new big thing. I mean, he yeah. he was in India for many many years. Mm. Returned to I think it was Birmingham in the in the UK, and then found himself in his returning to his neighbourhood, which he'd left how many decades earlier. Yeah, filled with people from India, and he could even speak the language to people. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's like yeah, it's what what is it's all very elastic. I think at the moment. Yeah. All right. Uh, so thank you for that, Mike. We'll move on to question from Danny from North Carolina. Can you dive deeper into the four worldviews you talked about last episode and specifically how it has manifested in the Western church? <laughs> the word again. Um, for example, purity culture was founded in the moralistic worldview. If you, for example, if you don't have sex before marriage, then your marriage will be easy and blessed. The sin chart. The people the loved chart. the sin chart. Um, <laughs> we're thinking of putting it on T-shirts and, and sending it out to everyone. Yeah. Um, Looking forward to walking the streets of, of yeah, Melbourne yeah. with, with yeah, the, yeah. Sin the sin chart. chart. Yeah, yeah. And on the back, read it. <laughs> read it. Live it. Love it. Um, Full <laughs> disclosure, we're not thinking of doing that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's a joke. That's a joke. Um, yeah, really interesting. So... Uh, Basically, for those who don't know, because again, too, even sort of purity culture is often thrown around in American sort of spheres and you hear it in different places, but uh, effectively, this is something which means different things in different places. Mm. Um, uh, but I think what, what I would get at there is some of, I think there was a reaction to some of the hedonistic. So we talked about the hedonistic. Uh, worldview, which yep. was basically the point of life is pleasure. The church saw that as a um, threat, um, and therefore, I would say, re sort of uh, tried to do a sort of conversation between the moralistic with the hedonistic, mm. where there was a hedonistic payoff. And it doesn't just have mm. to be about sex; it can be about wealth or lifestyle. So basically like mm -hmm. we're asking you to suffer, not suffer, we're asking you to not say yes to the hedonistic worldview, but here's a head, an alternate hedonistic playoff. Yeah. Can payoff. you explain more what you mean? Um, is it a little bit of a redefinition of what blessing is? Yes. Like yes. I'll just blessing, quote unquote, is yeah. kind of hidden. Like you can almost put things in the hedonistic category. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I put it in one thing. Why I've talked about this before is explicit and implicit prosperity gospel. Yeah. Uh -huh. So there's the cl classic Alma Gantry prosperity gospel. Alma Gantry is a 1950s film about a preacher um, who was sort of a bit of a fraud. What was it? Um, Alma Gantry. There was also a, a Steve Martin film as well about a sort of prosperity. Uh, oh really? Yeah, sort of comedy. Um, I forgot what it's called. Anyway, uh, the classic sort of explicit prosperity gospel of, you know, give to rebuilders um, and for every dollar you give, you'll receive tenfold back, you know. Yeah, okay. And, you know, we've got, a, we've got a subscriber who sent in money to, to rebuilders and, you know, two weeks later they got a Ferrari left in their, in their <laughs> garage, you know, sort of so that sort of thing. Like you give this and there's a definite mathematical equation that you get that, you know, and therefore, you know, this is why you see, you know, 
sort of prosperity preachers, you know, with ostentatious lifestyles. And here's my mansion, yeah. here's my Ferrari, here's my G5 jet because um, this is how God is blessing me, that thing. So we get that. That's explicit. But then there can be this implicit kind of prosperity gospel where follow Jesus and your life will be filled with good experience. It won't be as overt as a Ferrari. Yeah. But if you sacrifice over here, you're going to have no difficulty over there. Yes. You know, so mm. I think this is what um, Danny's getting at there. So it's sort of like, well, you know, follow God's plan for marriage and you'll have to say no there, but marriage will be awesome. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. we'll say no before marriage, but it's going to be awesome. And then people get to that and it's like, hang on, we've got difficulties. Life is, you know, we're in the in-between the kingdom break out, but not here fully. And what's going on? I didn't get the payoff I expected. Yes, yes. Um, and it could be other things. It could be, you know, I sacrificed this for ministry and ministry contends to be really difficult. Mm. You know, why is it still hard? Um, not that anyone listening can identify with that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think that really it's more that there's the four worldviews. And interesting, people have sent through more. Maybe we can talk about that. Um, people have had sent in their own editions. Um, oh, I haven't seen these. Yeah. Yeah, my friend uh, Thomas Villa in Denmark. Hello, uh -huh. Thomas. He he sent Hi. through a couple extras, um, so we can maybe talk about them another time. And oh, maybe great. others have got some um, other interesting ones. It's growing. The sin chart is growing. <laughs> oh, um, it's going to be a sin periodic table before we know <laughs> <yes>. it. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, yeah, so the 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 idea that um, I think it was more a coping technique to try and respond to the hedonistic yeah one, okay uh i think yeah is what's going on mm. so yeah that and i guess you mentioned it last week when you know we had like the sexual revolution of yes the 60s and yeah church culture particularly in the 90s did yes. a, a real swing back and that's when yes. there was that emergence of the whole purity culture yes. um thing in the problematic term the western church yes yeah Okay, great. Thanks, Danny, for your question. Um, we'll move on to a question from Shayla in Texas. Um, something my peers, I think this, sorry, I'm just going to say this is probably the last question for this yes, episode. Yes, yes, yes. Um, something my peers and I have noticed since COVID is something we jokingly call the great reshuffling, where longtime members of churches are leaving for not being progressive or conservative enough theologically or politically and then searching for a new one to fit their desires. I was wondering if you could comment on that trend. Thank you, Charlotte. Great question. Um, uh, fact, yes, 100% seeing this, mm. but I would even broaden it out. So, um, uh uh, Shayla's in, in Texas and, you know, I think that would be very correct in what I'm hearing from particularly a lot of people in, in the States uh, of there's a lot of political reshuffling happening in the church where yeah. people, perhaps those questions weren't addressed um, politically and then all of a sudden with everything that's happened in the last few years politically in the United States, there's been a reshuffling and there's been little bits of that in other places outside of the US in places like Canada and, and so on. But... Weirdly, I'm seeing this non-politically as well. Yeah, like, okay. um, you know, I was talking to someone who went to an event recently and caught up with a bunch of old friends from all different church backgrounds, and all of them said to this person, we're considering moving church. Yeah, wow. And it wasn't political. It was like, oh, I don't like the preaching there, or I just wondered if we need to move. But it's almost like I think what's happened as well. So there is the political polarization thing, which is a huge influence in America. We've spoken about that before. Mm. Um, but also you're seeing this sort of great – 
rethink after COVID, yep. the pause of COVID, and uh, just as people are rethinking their jobs, and there's the great um, uh, uh, res- resignation. Mm. Um, there's an article today that you know Melbourne the amount of people who've left Melbourne and moved to the region. So there's also this great move away from the cities, like yeah. a great rethink of where we live, how we live, what we do. People are more more choosy with their time. And I think we're seeing that around the church. Mm. So I think that, you know, how I think that, you know, we've called it the washing machine is I think that, um, you know, we're having lots of people come to Red and just like, oh, I'm just checking out, I'm looking for a different church. There's this great yeah. movement of people. How long that's going to continue for, I don't know. But I think it's here for a little while longer. Um, so I think that the disruption of COVID in that sense is then it's not this is not a result of COVID. COVID sparked this, but this is a bigger thing. I'm struggling to put my finger on one trend because yeah. I think it's different in different places. But the big trend, and, and I haven't properly analyzed it, is that people who you thought were always going to continue in your church habitually, that's not going to happen anymore. Um, and I'm hearing lots of people who haven't yet left. So you're hearing lots of people like, we're giving it to the end of the year. Yes. Um, for all different reasons. So mm. I've heard that statement a lot. So I think it's going to continue for another 12 months or more. Um, yeah. So I would put this under a trend to keep our eye on and maybe just observe that over the next sort of 12 months how that happens. All right. Well. Any, just on that, is it any quick, because I know there's lots of pastors and leaders. Mm. In this environment, and perhaps facing this challenge, any encouragement or thoughts on how, like, what do you do with that if your congregation's before you? And it could just be fifty percent, like, oh, actually, I could be moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how do you lead? How you pastor? Uh, yeah, if you can just give us the the one sentence answer to that. Oh. <laughs> no, I'll, look, we'll give you two sentences. Oh, thank you, thank you, so kind. Um, I mean, I, I wonder whether we'll do a future episode on this, but mm-hmm. a few quick thoughts. And we've had some discussion offline and as a team about this, just to let everyone else on the air know. I think there's there's always been a dynamic between the universal church and the local church. Mm-hmm. So we are part of the universal church. Uh, if someone from a church in Kenya and a church in Jamaica and a church in Thailand joined us here and we're like, let's pray together and we prayed. That's the universal church. Mm. Like yeah. the rebuilders, just look at all the different countries, you know, Hong Kong, South Africa, North Carolina, you know, people that are listening now, this is the universal church, different church backgrounds and stuff, denominations, listening to rebuilders, us participating in this mm. is this translocational thing, which is evidence that the universal church has relationship with each other. Yeah. So that's a really important thing. Then there's the expression of the local church. The local church helps us live out the universal church, but we do it in a particular time and place in community. And then we choose to be accountable to those people in that life on life, iron sharpening iron discipleship. Mm. You know, do not give up in the habit of meeting together. Now, traditionally throughout most of history, it was really hard for your average Christian in the local church to connect with the universal church. Yeah. Um, you might go to a big conference, yep. you know, you might uh, read a Christian magazine, you know, uh, you might read a Christian book, but actually the content and opportunity to connect with the Universal Church was actually quite small mm-hmm. um, and really hard to do. And you think like in the Middle Ages, you know, maybe you want a pilgrimage to the cathedral or something, but it was yeah. really rare and difficult to do. It was 99% local church. 
over time, because of the internet, stuff like what we're doing here, the the content provided by the universal church has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. As technology has meant that streaming and and podcasting and books and um, well, I mean, I think books were always there. So perhaps I shouldn't say books, but I think the digital offerings, TikTok, TikTok, uh, <laughs> follow uh, Daniel, no. Daniel <laughs> Fast at TikTok, um, 2.0, 2.0. Um, that <laughs> got some great dances. Yeah, great dances, and tells you how you can follow the the Levitical code um, through dance. Um, that that, that it, it is it's it's moving. Um, so I think that what's happened is. The possibility where you feel you can get some of the stuff that the local church used to give you through the universal church started to appear. Boom. COVID happens. Boom. Boom. That's how it was like boom. Yeah. Um, boom. I, COVID. I remember it. I remember it well. <laughs> COVID happens and everyone is like fast forwarded 30 years in that process. So we're all looking, we're, we're then trying to do our local church purely through digital, Mm. you know, when you couldn't meet in person. So I think a lot of people all of a sudden started to go, hang on, I'm listening to that worship album over there and I'm following that that preacher on Instagram there and I'm listening to that podcast over there and following what that ministry is doing. And I think this thing started to come in where maybe we can sort of be like universal church Christians (laughs) but without needing a local expression. Mm -hmm. Or I've got a local expression but I want it to match – what I'm accessing digitally mm. online. Mm. Yes. So I go back to my church and, you know, maybe politically or maybe just qualitatively, they're not talking about what that group's talking about or that doesn't align with that. So if you think about it, it's almost like a new kind of denominationalism where it's like a denominationalism of choice. Yes. Um, so I think <coughs> digital gives you the option, seeming seeming option, that you don't need to be a local Christian. Now, this is probably also for leaders uh, who are asking the question, you know, what do I do about this? This would also explain why you have people coming to you going, love what you guys are doing around community, but don't like your preaching or don't like your theological statement on that. Can you change that? So it's like this, it's like Netflix. I'm I'm flicking through Mm. the options on Netflix or Mm. I'm picking the algorithms on Amazon or something. So I would come back to the fact that what an incredible time to be alive that we can have this incredible output of great content from around the world, you know, like I can watch the Bible Project, I can listen to, you know, the thoughts of Tim Keller, I can hear what Christians are thinking in in that country and, and access all this stuff. That's brilliant. The church is more connected translocationally than ever. Example, what we're doing right now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, that I can go to the other side of the world and people like know us, they'll feel like they know us, but it's not the same as being in community, in time and place, in a local church. Yeah, Rebuilders cannot disciple you in a way that someone following you, uh, not (laughs) following (laughs) <laughs> Not following you. Um, someone who you are in a week-on-week thing. I can present. We can present in a particular way here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And people can listen in a particular way. But when you're with people and they see you in your good, in your bad, they see the whole of your life, there's those repeated in-person rhythms. I think coming back in person after COVID has reminded me there's just some stuff that digital can't do. There's some brilliant stuff digital can do. Like, like, But there's some stuff that the digital can't do. So, you know, I would then – come all the way after setting that up is 
ministers and pastors and whatever and leaders in a local context, we need to understand why we're doing the local. Yeah. We need to be advocates of the local as the best discipleship context that people can live out their following of Jesus. The universal stuff, brilliant, but it's additional. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and also we need to be symbols of the kingdom in our local community. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if you're listening to, I don't know, Tim Keller and you're watching the Bible Project and you're following this and doing that, that's brilliant. But that needs to then flow out into this is how it's affecting your town. This is how it's affecting your group of relationships. This is how it's affecting your friendships and so on like that. So it has to – the universal church has to have a local church expression. That That's really, really key. Long answer, but mm, took true. us took us – an extra 10 minutes, but mm. I think it was worth it. Yeah, definitely worth it. Thank you um, for that, Mark. And thank you to all of you who um, have sent in questions. We're hoping to get back to more of them next time. 